Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. There is a Twitter feed that's at every night at 9 p.m. says you will die someday. It's just that. It just tweets that every night at 9 p.m. And it's it's good. It's like a healthy tweet. It's just like, okay, you got to remind everybody. Like this is, uh, you got one chance. Just enjoy it. Okay. Well, uh, now listeners can have a little glimpse into Scott's nightly routine. <laughs> Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Kogo. I'm Scott Lewis, the CEO and Editor Chief at Voice of San Diego. I'm joined as always by the managing editor, Andrea Lopez Viafania. What's up, Lopez? Hey, Lewis. Happy to be here. Good, good. And hot take reporter, Jacob McQuinney. What's up, Jacob? <laughs> Nothing much. Back from my second bout of illness in one month. It's it's been it's been quite a quite an October for me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you got through it. <laughs> Barely. Coming up on the show this week, we've got a dispatch from the neighborhood of Stockton, which has a lot of problems the city is going to spend a lot of time talking about over the next year. Unlike some communities, they do want more police there, at least Andrea met a few folks that say they do. She'll explain what they're thinking. And throughout San Diego, neighborhoods are struggling to balance police enforcement, homeless camps, and homeless solutions. One proposed homeless shelter in Point Loma or near Point Loma is charging people up. We'll get into that debate. And ahead of the 2024 election, more ballot measures and tax proposals are coming into view We'll talk about what we're seeing so far. Finally, several years ago, we made a list of schools that parents were avoiding the most. Jacob went back to see what's changed. Jacob will share some of what he found. It's going to be a good show. Stay with us. Twenty years ago, I remember we went to a party. Uh, I was a journalist in town, new journalist. Wow! And we went to uh, um, 20 years ago. 20 years ago. Mm. And there was, a, I was wearing a Scooby Doo outfit and <laughs> Halloween my, party. Yes. And my friend, uh, <laughs> oh, I would hope so. <laughs> uh, 
Dude, the ladies loved the Scooby-Doo outfit. Oh, yeah. Now, my wife was on deployment with the Navy, so I was very So whenever a well woman behaved. came up to you, you were like, roll, roll. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Wait, you were just asked Scooby-Doo? <laughs> yes, and my friend is, is a very, uh, had a, had a very um, spitting image impression of uh, Shaggy, and so he looked like him. Uh-huh. And so we went as a pair. We almost won the contest that oh, night. Oh, nice. And uh, I went, I crashed it at his place with all their friends. We stayed up really late. And I woke up, and there was somebody banging on the door, just just cr- crushing the door, and nobody was answering it. You know how everybody's just tanked and you're and, <laughs> yeah. I was the guy that's never asleep like that. And I was just going nuts. I just mm-hmm. like felt like I had to answer the door. And I answered the door and it was their landlord who had come to yell at them at us for how noisy it was the night before. <laughs> and she was just like, bad boys. You guys were bad boys last night. And it was really, and I was just like, it's for you. I was trying to get my friend it's up. It's for it was you. Like a, just like a slightly sadder. Yeah. <laughs> he was furious with me for letting the landlord in. Oh. And, but we were all like a little bit perplexed because the sky was this bizarre color mm-hmm. and there was like this snow falling down. And it was, we later realized a massive fire had started that night in the East County and was just coming, careening for San Diego mm-hmm. and got to Scripps Ranch, was going crazy. We were watching TV all day long. Both he and I realized like, oh, we're reporters. We should like go there. I'll never forget walking through Scripps Ranch that had just been like torched on that Monday or Tuesday when they finally let us back in. And they canceled the Monday night football game. And that was 20 years ago, the Cedar Fire. You were here, La Mesa, right? Yeah, yeah. I was living with my family in La Mesa. Unlike you, I wasn't partying because I was 13 years old. Uh, I think, you know. <laughs> Not a lot of people but were as cool as But did you dress up for Halloween? <laughs> I, I, I imagine I probably did. Uh, my, probably one of those kids that just put on a little zombie makeup and then took your pillowcase around and filled it with. You know, I I actually used you were to love two or something. To, no, no, I I I was not six two. That would have been fun though. I maybe I would have made the high school basketball team. But um, no, I yeah, the school was canceled that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, my friend um, spent the night, and the next day we walk out into the backyard. And it it like like you said, it looked like snow, but the the sky was just this really ominous color genuinely you know i've never seen anything like it since just this deep gray dark it looked like it was going to rain but clearly it wasn't going to rain water and and there was just this little film of ash just coming down and it was like to this day one of the most surreal experiences i've ever had cleaning up that ash was hard we lived in a condo shared space I had nowhere to put it. It was like, it's not like you can rinse it. It was just mm-hmm. a weird, it was, everything was so weird. It was yeah. such a weird time. And yeah. since then, so much is different, right? They rebuilt all these neighborhoods, uh, still with the eucalyptus trees, <laughs> whatever. But the they also, they there's now a county fire department, like a legit one, all these volunteer county departments or different, you know, rural mm-hmm agencies joined there's uh, sdg&e a lot of its rate increase or some of it went to all of these improvements for its power lines and it's uh, and also it's a its own ability to detect where and when a fire might start where they can shut down lines it's really quite something how different the community is because of that but i i uh, i i'll never forget just how 
weird that few days was. Yeah. There was another bout in 2007. It wasn't quite the same, but it was bad. Was that the Witch Creek yeah. fire? I remember that. Yeah. Um, that was really bad, but it wasn't, it, it didn't have that sort of uh, seminal, transformative yeah. um, feeling that the Cedar Fire did. Yeah. I'll never forget, Mike Aguirre was running for city attorney then. And as the fire is getting closer, he got on the phone with a lot of us reporters and was like, we need to evacuate the entire city to Yuma. And <laughs> what? Like, that is so awesome. Because there was a theory, like if it crossed certain highways and yeah. got into the Carmel Valley world or something like that, that mm-hmm. it was going to go all the way to the coast and would just be like this, just this apocalyptic event. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember being like, well, that's a really extreme solution. I don't know if we should present any. And I remember it, it was like a, it was a very tense couple of, of days as mm-hmm. we waited to see if it was going to really get us or not. Wow. I mean, that would have been pretty fun, right? Just to like go to a, Yuma? Yeah. All, like all, the all, all of San Diego. All million of us. <laughs> yeah, why not? Uh, that would, Yuma would, Probably the best thing to ever happen to Yuma. <laughs> it would have been interesting. Now, the, the policy implications are still there. The, obviously, the, the, a lot of insurers have pulled out of San, uh, California, said we're not going to write new policies there's still a lot of questions about what we should allow to be built where but the new some of the new buildings they build are so fireproof that it 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 definitely changes things and then the firefighting capacity the cameras system all kinds of stuff that has been built in the last 20 years Mm. uh, makes it a much different calculus out there but the fire danger is never never something we can forget yeah it does make a difference that stg&e hired those minority report people to you know predict the thought crimes of fire right (laughs) yes You are a community reporter at heart, Lopez. Yes, yes. And you went to a gathering in the Stockton neighborhood recently. Tell us about it. Mm-hmm. Um, wow, it just brought me so much joy to be around community members who have advocated for their neighborhood for a really long time. Um, so Stockton, if you're not familiar with it, it's a pretty small community. Um, it's primarily re- residential and whatever businesses are there mostly like mom and pop shops or, you know, you'll get like a range of like liquor stores, some restaurants, um, some auto body shops, pretty much. Um, It's bordered by the 94, the 15th, uh, Logan Heights neighborhood and Grant Hill. Um, So if you might've gone through it, but you might've not known. Um, And so I went because there's this group of mostly women, uh, though there are some men who have been meeting for more than 20 years there. It's not an official sort of like city advisory group, as you may think of a community planning group or rec center advisory group. Uh, But these are just neighbors who have met for more than 20 years um, to advocate for their community. They've had community cleanups. They're all mostly Spanish speaking only. Um, And they've advocated for like more stop signs in their neighborhood, um, more streetlights. And it's just fascinating. And so, because they're so informal, I, I didn't get to experience this myself, but usually their monthly meetings are in someone's home and the person who hosts it actually will prepare like Mexican food for the people who are there. And so, I don't know, it just had this you know deep sense of community and pride and care. Um, as I wrote in my cup of cheese about this meeting, like, there's a lot of needs in that neighborhood. I mean, I walked with one of the residents, she was like, do you mind just coming over to my house? Like, I just want to show you kind of like what we're dealing with. 
And we walked over to her house and sure enough, like there's no sidewalks, there's no street light. And um, it was quite dangerous, like walking over to her house. And then she showed me where like her and her husband had dug these like two little ditches so that when it rains, their cars don't get flooded because she said they've had many cars get damaged um, from, you know, previous rains. But yeah, it's a really fascinating neighborhood. And I think on top of like all the issues that they were talking about, what I found most interesting there was that they had invited a SDPD officer who's a community relations officer for that area. And they were all super stoked to have him there. They talked to him about, you know, needs that they had. They were actually like, we need more parking enforcement. Like we want parking enforcement officers out here like every day, giving people tickets who are parked in handicapped spots when they're not supposed to be. And it was just funny to hear, or not funny, but interesting to hear that a community that's predominantly Latino, uh, Spanish speaking, uh, would want, you know, would be advocating for more police because I have been following this um, dilemma unfolding in the Barrio Logan community with, um, you know, people not feeling comfortable having police officers at their community meetings. Yeah, that juxtaposition between uh, Barrio Logan antipathy, or at least some of the people mm -hmm. there, their antipathy to the police, they actually kicked a police officer mm -hmm. out it of their It was the meeting. same officer. Oh, is, and the one they kicked out is <laughs> yeah. the one that they was so welcomed at yeah. this other place. So welcomed. I mean, you know, and I think you have to take into account, like, this is a, a, a specific group of people. It doesn't represent the entire neighborhood. Course, yeah. They're very involved. They're, you know, older. So, you know, they have different views on policing, but um, you know, they want, they said they wanted more police in their community to feel safe, um, to address crimes, to, um, you know, stop cars that are speeding. They've got like the major streets there are Imperial and Market, and these are really long streets where cars do speed. Um, and so those were some of the things that they wanted, but yeah, it was, it was just fascinating because I've been following the Barrio Logan thing. And now coming to Stockton, you know, seeing this, um, how one community was sort of advocating. And I asked them, I asked one of the women, I was like, what, you know, there's a situation where communities don't feel comfortable with police. It seems like you guys really want them. She's like, yeah, you know, we understand that. But like, we really want police officers. And in fact, we really want like parking enforcement guys here, you know, ticketing people. <laughs> mm. So it was interesting. It was an interesting group. Mm. What, do, what do you think explains just the significant difference in sort of the relationship with the police between mm -hmm. these communities that basically neighbor each other. I think because the age, the age group in that specific um, uh -huh. community group is tends to lean older. Uh -huh. um, I th a lot of them are immigrants. Um, and so I think there's this sort of like different cultural mindset uh -huh. on that side. Um but also like feeling that your neighborhood is often overlooked, I think also plays into it, right? They, they're they not seeing, you know, a lot of police officers patrolling their neighborhood or yeah. maybe they used to and then they sort of stopped. Huh. And so it's the same feeling like you're not getting the same resources that other neighborhoods are getting. Yeah. One woman was talking to the officer when the meeting ended and she was like, explaining how there used to be a police officer who would sometimes park in this area where cars would just fly past the stop sign mm -hmm. or would sometimes race each other. And she asked him why they removed that officer, that he hasn't been there for years. Mm. And the police officer was explaining that, um, you know, after COVID, they had less police officers and they probably can't dedicate resources to having someone just like sit there mm -hmm. watching for street racing. 
Um, yeah. But, you know, it's like these safety concerns. Well, it is a really interesting little area. You know, I looked it up. I, I to be honest, never really heard of Stockton. I, mm-hmm. now, now that I'm looking at the neighborhood, I've been there many times. Yeah, you, you probably know, right, like passed it. Yeah, or, right next yeah. to the Costco, right next to the Mount Hope Cemetery. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can imagine, I mean, as mar- Market is, is it can be a pretty gnarly street right like, there. Yeah. One time I did a turn there and I thought I was going to die. <laughs> but that could just be a reflection of my driving. Yeah, probably. <laughs> all right. This discussion about police. Let's talk about this for a second. Because this comes up all the time where the, these neighborhoods are like, we need this or that. Mm-hmm. We need, And the police are always like, there's just none of us. We lost all these ranks. Mm-hmm. People are leaving. They're being mm-hmm. recruited to other places. There's not enough police to do all this response that you want all constantly. Now, this city has... Uh, Every three or four years, this comes up. The lack of recruitment, the mm-hmm. vacancies, uh, the police union and others like we can't, we don't, we're losing all these people to other places. We're not paying enough. We're not paying enough. We're not paying enough. Mm-hmm. Now, remember, they have some of the most lucrative pensions possible. They Every time this comes up, they do get an increase in their pay. And yet we still can't seem to fix this. And I think there's this impression underneath all this that it's the mayor's fault in particular, that it's like mm. Mayor Todd Gloria's fault, that whatever his management ability or his the morale that he's giving these cops or the leadership he's providing or whatever is not making it possible for them to fill these vacancies. And I think, I, I don't know what more could happen. Like, I don't know what they could do because the 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 money is going to be hard to get even higher. They will. They'll still do that. They'll 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 uh, they they always have. They there's they're set they're set this year. I think already to blow through their overtime payment. And overtime is is a significant source of income for a lot of them. Mm. And I think there's a lot of a lot of resources being poured into it. But if they can't can, they can't fill these ranks. I think it's one of the most interesting problems that these cities face. Is like this demand for more service or whatever, this hostility to it mm-hmm. from other places. And then this like city hall sort of paralysis, like, oh, I don't know what else to do. And I think of all the things that Todd Gloria has a problem with, like not being nice enough to the police is, I feel like a real <laughs> weird one. Yeah. And and I also think they, they whenever you push them on it, they're like, well, he he made us get the vaccine. Yeah. And, it, and it's like, well, okay, that's over. And I, and I still don't have a lot of sympathy for... <laughs> that as like a real big rallying cry. I'm sorry, you interacted with the public. There was a pretty legit fear that that you would get sick and yeah. force relevance and, and ability would be hurt. But also like, okay, even even if you concede like that was too mm-hmm. far or whatever, it's done. Like, are you really? Mm-hmm. It's three years ago. It was it was three years ago. So I I find that, and then we see these these police running for these offices, like we talked about last week. So are we? seeing some moment of police resurgence or or what and i don't know i don't know what the underlying assumption is and i think a lot of it comes down to homelessness and i think a lot of it is rooted in the idea that they like they just think that we should be harsher on the homeless and that there's a reluctance to do that which is creating more of a problem that's out there and and it's this like competing narrative between that and or it's really expensive to live here and people are being evicted and becoming homeless. Mm-hmm. And it's like these two competing narratives, it's like really define our politics right now. And it's not liberal left versus right, you know, conservative. It seems like it's between those who believe we are not tough enough right now and that's the, the problem and we need to get tougher. And 
those who believe that there's actual economic and socioeconomic reasons for what's happening. And, and I think that's playing out in every debate mm-hmm. in the community right now. Hmm. And, and I think the interesting part is there isn't a whole lot of difference between what Todd Gloria has done with homelessness and, and previous mayors, you know, I think it's a bit of a vibe shift, if anything, you know, and obviously there are new things, the opening of lots and opening of safe camping sites, which are, are good. It does kind of ease the pressure on this, on this situation on the streets, but it's not a night and day situation. It's not like all of a sudden he's saying. He, he literally took the idea that Kevin Faulkner was floating yes, uh-huh. to pass a ban on camping and, and implemented it. Mm-hmm. And then Kevin Faulkner's big, this is the Republican previous mayor's big criticism of it was that there wasn't enough accompanying shelter. Mm-hmm. It wasn't mm-hmm. like even that it was too hard. I think he was, or that it was not harsh enough. It was that it was too harsh without shelter. sort of this compassion on the side. Yeah. So it's that's pretty, pretty great to get outmaneuvered by, <laughs> or like outmaneuvered out to the left by the former Republican mayor. Yeah. That's a, quite an accomplishment. Well, so I think this is part of what's informing uh, a new debate that's erupted in Point Loma area. Mm-hmm. So we talked a couple weeks ago very briefly about H Barracks. So this is that little area next to the San Diego airport. Uh, it's been used for a long time for firefighter training, right? Mm-hmm. These little buildings that look like a neighborhood. Um, they That is the site of the of one of the most important facilities that will go along with the pure water plant. So this is the effort that would be to, I think up to about 30% of the city's water would come from reclaiming wastewater that we were gonna get rid of and pump into the ocean, putting that back through uh, filters and, and replenishing our supply with that water. And that project is a huge one. It's going to take a long, long time to build. And part of the reason why our water rates are going up is to pay for it. Mm-hmm. But that's going to be a big site for it. So they're going to demolish all the buildings that are on that site next to the airport. Now, that's going to take years to do. And so in the meantime, they're saying, like, why don't we take about five acres of that land? We'll, we'll bulldoze that. And then we'll put uh, a kind of campus for homeless individuals right now. So there could be safe parking safe uh, camping and actual like sprung uh, tent shelter there Mm -hmm. could serve up to 700 families and of course the neighbors love it (laughs) residents in point loma say the sheer size of the proposed facility is alarming if you look at the rest of the plan most of the other shelters that are proposed around the county are 30 or 40 people at a local library a church this is an inordinate impact on a community that already is heavily impacted derek faulkner and his neighbors started a change.org petition two days ago when they found out about the idea it has already gotten nearly 800 signatures he says their biggest concern there was another part of that report where where Falconer, I think no relation to the former mayor <laughs> said we're going to see homeless individuals and kids are going to be exposed to them mm-hmm. and their and their in their issues and some of their more in, in state unstable members of their population mm-hmm. and i got to say like what planet does he live on where that's not already happening and in point loma in ocean beach Obviously, I live near Rob Field. Rob Field is just a big center right now for a lot of sometimes more troubling than other type of behavior and just uh, just sort of people who who need better opportunities. But and, the, and also, what what kids are walking 
right around next. the H barracks. I mean, yeah. you know. Well, so that's the interesting part, right? So H barracks is right across the bay from Liberty Station. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm old enough to remember when the controversy. About- when you say right across the bay, I feel like that that. That makes it sound like you could throw a rock and hit it. I mean, there's some distance between these places. There's a bridge. They could yes. cross the bridge. Uh-huh. And I think like they, that they've launched a new site. It's called Save Liberty Station. And, okay. and it, it shows the map like it's not Liberty Station. Like mm-hmm. Very much clearly is not. Now, you could cross the bridge over there. I think this, this, this highlights one of the biggest problems with this discussion, which is that the more that these sort of individual solutions are individually debated, the more it's going to be a, a, a whack-a-mole problem where you're just putting something up and people are knocking it down. Yeah. So here he says, why do we have to have a six or 700 person camp or campus near us when all the other places that are being done are about 30 or 40 people? And when we hear that, we're like, what are you talking about? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. 30 or 40 here and there is exactly the problem. Like there is not, there's nowhere near the amount of shelter space available for everybody who wants it. Mm-hmm. Never mind all the people who are homeless. And I think that's where, like, I, I think this show, maybe we should just do this every week. And just say that over and over again because I'm not sure that it's really sunk in as a fact. Just like the the whole uh, drug rehab beds situation, mm-hmm. there are not enough beds or drug rehabilitation opportunities for people who are poor or low income, even for the number of people who want them right now. Let alone all the people who don't want them yet and when we feel like need to be compelled to take them we should set up a, a twitter account like your favorite um you know you're gonna die someday yeah. but it's just it every just, day every, every day, day there, there are there not are, enough beds <laughs> honestly and i think i think if people just grappled with that fact, if they just had to live with that fact yeah. every single day it would change all of these discussions because He's saying, like, why doesn't these other places have to take all these? Everybody needs to take every a bunch more places. Yeah. Unless you subscribe to the idea that, yes, indeed, we should build this massive camp out in the middle of nowhere where we would concentrate the homeless mm-hmm. and put them there and force them to be there. Uh, unless you subscribe to that, which is meaning you're literally creating an internment camp <laughs> uh, for people who you don't think are equal to you or whatever, if you're not going to do that, then you have to subscribe to the idea that like, if we're going to push these people out and we're not going to put them in jail, and maybe you already believe they should be, again, which is another version of internment, mm-hmm. then you have to create spaces for them. Mm-hmm. And I've been pushing this for years, but I, I think it needs to be even more clear that like it should be considered a natural catastrophe has occurred. Like that, there, there, We need to take it as though a tsunami hit and say, what would we all do if a fire, just like we talked about 20 years ago, they opened up Qualcomm Stadium and the land around it so that people could go as a safe place when they got all pushed out of their places. Yeah, We need to have a similar mentality. The same thing we did, we created tents around hospitals after COVID hit. Like there's a lot of things that need to be mobilized. But and- always with those, the messaging around those actions was that this is an emergency and this is what we're doing. The, it wasn't the- like a... We're taking opinions. We're taking feedback on how we should address this emergency. As though it's like a project that's being proposed for an area. And 
do you guys like it? Mm -hmm. And what should we do to make it easier for you to take? No, like this is an emergency. Every available city land, first of all, needs to be considered for potential short-term or long-term sheltering opportunities. And then every, and this is a big piece of land next to an airport, which by the way is the worst use of land anywhere near a school and playground. (laughs) And we already have that. And by far is going to do a lot more damage to the air quality and public safety of your youth right there than some, you know, guy that's homeless near across the bridge. Mm-hmm. But I think that's the also the only place where these two sides, these two worlds really cross over, which is the one world says like, "Oh, we got to just beat their heads more. We got to come down hard on them. They don't want help. They're 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 a almost subhuman group of people who have chosen this horrid lifestyle and we shouldn't be exposed to them. And then the other side that's like, we should, we, we must take care of them. We must uh, see pat, uh, compassion in them. They're humans. And both sides, I think, cross over in the one part of that Venn diagram that says, we need to treat this like an emergency. Mm. And if, if we all addressed it as such, then I think all of these petty discussions about where exactly we would put people would would be uh, subsumed by the larger acceptance that we are mobilizing as a community because we can no longer tolerate the way it is now. Mm-hmm. Neither side can tolerate the fact that there are thousands and thousands of people living the way they are in the troubled state they are living like this. Yeah, uh, and and I think to your point that there has, and we've talked about this before, just the rampant dehumanization of, of homeless folks by people who are you know on the outside looking in. I, I see it in our comment section constantly, people posting the most vile stuff. I posted a comment on, on Twitter the other day where it's just literally someone calling for homeless people to, to die, to be killed, to be rounded up. And and this is just it, it it is a it is a symptom of this larger thing, right? Homelessness isn't just something that's affecting people who are on the streets. Clearly, they are the ones who are experiencing this most acutely and who are most affected. But it is this the the callousness and indifference to human life on the streets is something that infects. It's this it's this toxic thing that infects all of us and and, and makes our society worse, makes our understanding of each other worse, makes our capacity for empathy worse. And and, and treating this as an emergency, treating this as as a as you know a, a, a an imminent call to action to find some place where these people can be human is the only way to to start to mend and de toxify this just really horrible stew that I think we've gotten ourselves into. Yeah. So there, there has been a new site open, OLOT open this week. Uh, they're trickling in people to camp at that site in Balboa Park. Uh, hundreds of tents are, are going to be located there and it's going to provide yet more places for people to go. Again, if you're going to have a policy, they can't be on the street. Where can they go? And this is this is one of those options we need Far more, especially if if we can all just accept that idea that if you want shelter, there's not enough places for you right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now there has been so much dissatisfaction with the direction of the city with this homeless crisis and stuff. It is kind of crazy that no major Democrat or Republican politician in San Diego has decided to run for mayor. We've talked about Larry Turner, the police officer who is running for mayor. Uh, he's, you know, 
I'm not sure how serious or how much of a difference he'll be able to make in the race. I, I, there's been a lot of grumbling I've heard over the last two weeks after people kind of realized that nobody was running for mayor. I remember this a couple of years ago when Kevin Faulkner was getting ready to run for re-election. It was a year out and nobody had run for that. And everybody was like, well, somebody What's should run on? for him, <laughs> uh, run against him. Lori Saldana ended up running. Of course, Ed Harris, the former firefighter himself or lifeguard himself had run uh, for office. Neither of them made much of an impact on the race. But Kevin Faulkner looked at it and said, no, I don't want to run. There's some grumbling about, can we get somebody else recruited into this race? Congressman Scott Peters' name come up, comes up a lot. I don't see that happening. I think, uh, I, I don't know if there's any other discussion going on, but it it is really interesting that there's so much grumbling from the left and the right about mm-hmm. Todd Gloria, and he's he's getting a pass. I, I, it, it doesn't make sense to me either. I've seen that same grumbling, and, and especially from the left. Obviously, you know, you expect a Democratic mayor to not be <laughs> popular with Republicans, but I think that a lot of, you know, Todd's actions have have place them in the crosshairs of more kind of leftist folks in town. What what is what is going on there? It's very hard to run for mayor. It is a citywide race. You need to have significant resources to be able to reach voters. Believe it or not, not everybody reads Voice of San Diego. What? And is not as attuned to the city's discussions as we are and our readers are and our podcast listeners are mm. and thus don't have much opinion, and so they don't necessarily associate his name with negativity, like a, a scandal might provide some sort of huge, easily understood scandal. Yeah, he didn't lose the Chargers. You know, there's not these sort of normal <laughs> things that have penetrated the normal world, and and there's no obvious sort of superstar candidate running against him. Yeah, Bill Walton's not running. You know, uh, Kevin Faulkner's I mean, not that, running. That would have been pretty fun, right? Like, was, just cut out the middleman. That would have been something. Um, I remember asking him one time if he was going to run, and he's like, ah, we need to make money. <laughs> so, okay, all right. Cool. Um, who do you think would be an option? Yeah, are there any people who, who you're like surprised haven't run? Are there people that no. you've heard of trying to be drafted into this sort of race? This the, the Scott Peters discussion comes mm. up a lot. Now, it's funny to me that he'd be seen as some like big change disruptive agent like obviously he's he's not known for disrupting things i think the reason he's the the even that his name would come up is interesting because he's seen as a i think a competent manager and maybe the implication being that he would have higher level competency or something like that mm-hmm. but from what i understand he's not interested he's he's content hanging with the the new Republican majority in Congress and and their new speaker, Mike Johnson. But I think that uh, we'll see uh, what happens, but I don't think anybody's going to get recruited in there. I think it's really because it's so hard. Republicans have a uphill battle with the with their impression and with the, the stigma of the Trump world still on them as a brand here. Mm-hmm. And then Democrats aren't going to take on a, a reasonably, you know, powerful Democratic mayor you, you know, you, you come for the king, you better kill him, right? Like, yeah, you best like, not miss. You best not miss. And um, I don't know that a lot of them think they 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 could they could get him. Mm. And so you'd have to you'd have to have a lot of big popular response, and it's not happening. Mm. So, but there are a few things being cooked up for the twenty twenty four ballot. Um, when we talked before about uh, the sandag tax, there's a half cent sales tax. They're still trying to put on the ballot. They have another month to to make sure they have enough 
signatures to turn in to get that on the ballot to uh, for you know roads and, and transit, a connection to the airport, that kind of thing. There's a full cent sales tax being proposed or sort of working its way through City Hall right now. Now, it would be a really big increase to the sales tax in San Diego, the city of San Diego, but it would fund, it would be open to fund anything. So it could fund police, it could fund infrastructure, all these different things. And because it doesn't have any restrictions, it's actually easier to pass. They only need 50%, but it's also easier to attack Mm -hmm. as a political thing because it'd be like, they could just use it for their pensions or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so that'll be really interesting to see if it goes forward. Uh, And then there's this mansion tax. This, uh, if you have a home, I believe the threshold that they put it at now is $2.5 million or more. If you sell that, uh, you know, a, a tax on the sale will go up and up. So, and this was sort of modeled after the the LA uh, mansion tax. Yeah, they learned a little bit from that, so it won't apply to new construction. Got it. Um, they they've been trying to get the city council or others to put it on, or uh, get uh, somebody to fund the campaign to put it on the ballot with signatures. We'll see if that goes forward. Sales tax, very exciting. The most progressive of taxes. Yes. <laughs> Not. <laughs> I always, I always kind of wish that that we did have a sort of pr- progressive tax form when it came to to things like tickets, like speeding. Mm. You know, there were many years where I made what, like twenty five thousand dollars in a year. If I got pulled over for speeding, I feel like the cops should give me some money because now I'm late to work. Yeah. But you know, if a millionaire gets pulled over for speeding, charge him five thousand dollars. Oh yeah. well. Yeah. That'd be fun. Uh, that was a that was actually a proposal in like Finland or something like that. Really? Yeah. Good on those those the Finns. Yeah, the Finns. Finns. <laughs> and um, yeah, there is a there is a proposal to get the city to purchase all of the power lines and infrastructure from SDG and take it over, municipalize as it's called the power lines. Mm-hmm. Right now, of course, we we already municipalized the purchasing of power, but we still let sdg deliver that power. And this would take that part away and, and make it a city of San Diego department. Uh, you would Now they'd have to borrow billions of dollars to in, in order to buy all that stuff from sdg but we would pay it off with your rate bills into the future, right? So what, what's the likelihood of some sort of moonshot like this happening? Well, McKinsey Elmer on our staff checked in and, and they said, well, the city council is, looks like they're not going to put it on the ballot mm. for 2024. So we'll just get volunteers to do it. That's oh, no not, problem, right? That's, We've never had, there's never been a signature gathering snafu. With people who are paid quite well to get them delivered. And and I think the, the likelihood of volunteers mobilizing at that level to collect that many signatures, more than 80,000, which means you got to collect 120 or more thousand well, ballots. Well, Scott, I don't think you're considering how sexy this ballot measure is. Yes. Municipalization of power. Line. Now, that said, the concern over rates has per- pierced the, the normal world. Like, oh, for sure. Like uh, San Diego subreddit, it's the top post every other week, you know? Yeah. People are really upset with the cost of living issues, the water bills, the power bills, obviously housing, like it's starting to get to a point where it looks bad for all the leaders. So how they respond to that, I think in a big way, is going to be interesting. We're we're going to face a 20%. We've talked about this water rate increase over the next two years. Like that's going to be big. Yeah. And um, all of these things are going to drive some of these pushes, I think for a while. Like, let's say they pass it, whatever. Can they even force SDG need to sell the stuff? Well, I th- that's a great question. And yes, they can. They could, they could um, 
eminent domain it probably mm -hmm. or take mm -hmm. it. Uh, but they would have to pay for it, and that's the the cost. So they'd have to come up, and I think there'd be a huge law legal battle about yeah, what like it all costs. Yeah, because who would set the price? Yeah, it'd be billions and billions of dollars. Mm -hmm. And so I think it would it would not be easy to do, but they could make the case that 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 it's in the public interest mm -hmm. to take it. And the, the Constitution says, you know, you have to you have to pay people for for the you know valid price for what that was worth. And mm -hmm. that would be a really big, big tangled mess for sure. I, I encourage you to read uh, Mackenzie Elmer's piece this week about the uh, the environment report. She puts it out every two weeks on Monday. The environment report this week talked about water rate increases and water prices and how hard it is, if not just illegal it is, for, for agencies to try to subsidize low-income residents with those problems and those costs. And one route that that could actually work or what legal uh, challenges are in the way. So you can always find that at voicesandiego.org, slash environment. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Kroc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Right, several years ago, we did a uh, piece about the schools that parents uh, most avoid. You did a piece. I did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I saw Scott, Scott Lewis on there. Lewis. Yes. <laughs> I was like, oh, damn, look at him. Um, <laughs> we had gotten the data about uh, where people were going Uh as at San Diego Unified has this, uh, I think, unique sort of uh, choice environment over, over the years. People long left their neighborhood schools, uh, chose other neighborhood schools or magnet schools or charter schools. And um, that has some really interesting consequences. On the one hand, a lot of the schools are more in more integrated, more diverse than they might otherwise be. Just because if you if you only had kids from La Jolla at La Jolla High School, it would be very white school. It is already a very white school, but there's there is people there are people who come in from other parts. Uh, Mission Bay High. I remember looking at that number. It's like eighty percent of the people that went to Mission Bay High do not live in the Mission Bay area, Pacific Beach area. They came in from other parts of San Diego, and in fact, Mission Bay High not, may not even exist were it not for that system, just because it 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 you know relies so much on people coming from other parts of San Diego to it. Now, on the other hand, that also means that some of these schools have never had the communities they need to force accountability, to to build community in a way that would 
improve the the status of the school and and the reputation of the school and so just sort of chronically struggle to to improve their impressions mm -hmm. uh, to keep teachers teachers who just want to leave as soon as they get there that kind of thing and so you went back and checked at the data and uh, unfortunately what eight years not much has changed not much has changed. Don't mean to call you out on the numbers, but it was actually around seventy percent of of Mission Bay's got it. Yeah, student population uh, were choosing, and which is still a crazy number. Yeah, you know it really is nuts. And you know Mission Bay is a really interesting example of this. I wrote my re most recent learning curve about this phenomenon. For the past eight years, at least, there's been around five to six hundred kids within Mission Bay High's um, attendance boundaries, which clearly is not enough to fill a high school. And so Mission Bay has essentially had to draw kids in from other, uh, you know, sort of clusters in, in, in the district and ensure that, that a bunch of kids that, that are in the attendance boundaries are coming. Um, and, and that's kind of cut against a lot of what the district has been trying to do in, in, in recent years, which is really prioritize neighborhood schools. A, a so quality that, school in every neighborhood. Exactly. Yeah. yeah the, uh, uh, uh uh, effort that that produced somewhat mixed results um and ultimately as you said eight years later a whole not a whole lot has changed so the schools that were at the bottom in the bottom half of of that list in terms of how many kids in the neighborhood went they're all still in the bottom half and the schools that were all in the top half uh of of kids coming in of kids in the neighborhood choosing to go there they're all still in the top half there's been some shuffling around in the middle but the broad outline is is still very similar to what it was eight years ago. Hmm. So give me a couple examples. So one of the schools we talked about was uh, years ago was Memorial Prep mm -hmm. in in Logan Heights. It has it was in part because of some of this reporting and just the 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 concern about that campus. They completely demolished it, rebuilt it, rebuilt it as a K twelve uh, campus, yeah, yeah, right? Like a like a preschool to twelve, campus, right? Yeah. And. It's it has a different style learning now. They brought in the Montessori mm -hmm. style, and they've really tried to change the impression. And, and it's a little mixed results right now, right? Yeah, and to be fair, there are a lot of sort of confounding factors here, right? So, so the what was the most avoided school back in that 2015 piece, as you said, was Memorial Prep, and they were what like 19 percent of like the kids in something crazy low. Like I thought that. it was more like 90% were leaving. I Something guess. like that. Yeah. It was, it was a very, very, very low amount of kids in that neighborhood were going to Memorial Prep. Now, Memorial Prep was a middle school and this piece was used, was created with data from high schools. So um, Logan Memorial Educational Campus, this is just the data from that high school. And, and as of last year, they only had ninth grade. So they're adding um, a year each year. Each each year they add a new grade. So now this year they have a tenth grade, but last last year last year they didn't. And looking at the data, around twenty seven twenty eight percent of kids in the neighborhood attend Logan Memorial. Now that may sound very small, but like I said, there are even more confounding factors than this not being a middle school, which is that this is a brand new school and. There are lots of kids in the neighborhood. You know, they all of the kids in this neighborhood before the school existed would have gone to San Diego High. And so they're leaving these kind of choice attendance boundaries very porous for a number of years so that kids are, you know, who start at Logan Memorial can filter up into the high school. But they're allowing kids who are, you know, across the street down the block from the high school to still go to San Diego High if their friends went there or their older brother went there. And so there's there's a little bit of a question of how much these numbers are going to change in, in, in future years. So, so I'd put like a, a pin in that 
to um to to come back to it but but that being said logan memorial educational complex that ninth grade and this is just data for the ninth grade that was the lowest uh percentage of 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 neighborhood kids attending a school of any high school um second lowest was was lincoln which had around 31 percent of kids in the neighborhood attending so 31 percent of the kids who can go to lincoln were uh, going to lincoln yes and 69 percent were going somewhere else now compare that for example to uh scripps ranch or la jolla yeah yeah it's it's pretty wild and and you look at um you, when you break down that number a little further, so we, we got numbers about, um, you know, how many kids in the neighborhood are going to that school, to, to Lincoln, let's say, how many kids in that neighborhood are choosing another San Diego Unified School, whether that's an, a typical school or, or, you know, whatever it may be, and how many kids from the neighborhood are going to a charter school. And in the case of Lincoln, uh, 31% of kids, were, as I said, were attending Lincoln, while 30 eight-ish percent of kids were attending a charter school. And that was one of only two schools in, I believe, in the district where more kids were attending charter school than were attending a San Diego Unified School. Uh, school. So that and Logan Memorial were the only two schools where more kids were choosing to just not do a district school. I mean, obviously, these are district, you know, um, uh, accredited school or whatever it is, um, but but charter schools are. But it's a really interesting thing. I mean, these are kids who are saying to hell with all of these these district-run schools. I'm going to go to a charter. So do we have the numbers of how Lincoln's changed over the last several years? Yeah, yeah, we do. So so there really hasn't been a whole lot of change. And, and I mean, they've increased the percentage of kids going to neighborhood schools just just barely, barely. So back in 2014, it was about 29%. And as I said, uh, last year it was 31%. So it's a very minuscule increase. All right. Give me Scripps Ranch or La Jolla. Uh, so last year, Scripps Ranch, uh, and, and this is actually one of the shuffling bits that happened in 2014. Um, La Jolla was, was the school that had the most neighborhood kids and Scripps Ranch had the second. But um, as of last year, Scripps has overtaken La Jolla. In Scripps Ranch, 93.4% of kids go to their neighborhood high school. In La Jolla, 84.5% go to their neighborhood high school. So those are just, I mean, you look at that 93% of kids versus 31% of kids. That's an insane difference. So the amount of pride, the amount of interest that those kids and families have in going to their neighborhood schools, so it's like more than double mm-hmm. the pride and interest in in going to some of these other schools, yeah. these other parts of town. I, I mean, that's just like, one of those, there's so many of these facts in, in San Diego schools that if you sit with them, it's just, it, we, we should just be like kind of horrified all the time <laughs> that that's the case. This is the same school district. Yeah, yeah. It's the same operating system over both of these schools, ostensibly the same access to funds. Obviously there's foundations and other things at different schools, but the, the same world and yet completely different world. It is, and 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 none. As I wrote in the piece, none of this is happening in a vacuum. I mean, this isn't just like happenstance. Um, I I got curious, you know, if there were things that correlated with these these neighborhood school enrollment rates, and all of the things that you would expect to correlate do right. So the the poorer a school's community is, the more kids choice out of that school, and and one 
thing that often correlates with, you know, the wealth of a community is test scores. So same thing is true, right? If the lower a school's uh, test scores are, um, the, the more likely kids are to choice out of that school. And so this is a kind of interconnected bundle of things that's really hard to pull apart. You know, the, the, the reality, though, is that schools that have the, the, the least and schools that are struggling are losing the most kids. And that's, that's, you know, an unfortunate situation. I think there's this knee-jerk response sometimes often on the left that, well, you should just not let kids leave their community because then mm-hmm. the, the kids with the most involved parents end up leaving they're that, that late. They lose that chance to build that community, yeah. to build the accountability structure that helps the school succeed. On the other hand, if you do that and it can be proven that you've, you've restricted them from a better educational opportunity, you're not only doing something that might be considered wrong, but might be considered illegal too. Mm-hmm. If they're, and, and so then there's, all these uncomfortable realities too. If you don't allow the integration or help with the integration of schools, integration is one of the biggest factors for success for some uh, schools. The, the, if you're allowing them to move into different places and, and, and yet if you do that, the, the communities suffer and such too. So it's just this like really thorny complex issue, but it hasn't been improved in any way. It's tough because, because I, I do, it is, I think true that, that, the parents that that know even that choosing out of a, of a school is an option are often the most involved parents and involved parents make for better students and so i think it's unquestionable that that some schools are you know academically poorer because their most involved parents their most you know the, the students with the most involved parents are are leaving but at the same time i mean what what are those parents supposed to do the, these schools have built reputations whether they're 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 good or bad i'm not making a judgment call on that but they've built reputations that that parents don't want to throw their kids into into schools like well you literally have better opportunities in some of these schools yeah. you have more ap classes mm-hmm. you have more mm-hmm. all different kinds of places as you've described like your your mom had to make a similar decision right and it was pretty obvious to her yeah. I mean, I don't actually, I was just thinking about that before we started recording. I was like, I don't remember what school I was supposed to go to, but mm. I certainly remember that they choiced me into a really, really nice school mm. um, where I learned how to play the violin. <laughs> Do you still play the violin? <laughs> no. Oh, man. Well, you can follow more of this, and I think you'll have some follow-ups at uh, org slash learning. Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast in San Diego that regularly introduces very difficult facts that you must sit with. We're the most popular public affairs podcast in San Diego that does that. Subscribe to Voice of San Diego's morning report to keep up with everything we're following in local news and our latest stories. You can see that and our full lineup at voiceofsandiego.org slash newsletters. That's vosd.org slash newsletters. I'm Scott Lewis, CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice San Diego. Andrea Lopez Villafaña is our managing editor. Jacob McQuinney is our reporter. Nate Johns, our producer. And thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.